Welcome to Ancient Words, Modern Message. I'm your host, Roger Womble. The past is a mirror, and the more we examine what came before us, the more we can understand where we are heading. The matchmaker, Sharkan in Yiddish, has always played an important role in traditional observant Judaism, as heard in the musical Fiddler on the Roof. But in the book of Hosea, the matchmaker is none other than God, who arranges a most unusual match for this Old Testament prophet. We'll learn about it together in this first episode of I Love You Truly, studies in the book of Hosea. In 1945, there was released a major motion picture. Interestingly, that, of course, was at the end of World War II. It immediately became a blockbuster hit. The director was Frank Capra. And the name of that movie that was released at that interesting time was It's a Wonderful Life. Interesting, isn't it, that at the end of the horrors of World War II, the film would be titled It's a Wonderful Life. How many of you have seen It's a Wonderful Life? Uh, I thought that would be nearly all of you. It has become a favorite at Christmas time. You know the storyline of George Bailey and his wife, Mary. There's one particular scene right after George and Mary have gotten married. And you will recall the scene if you've seen the movie. And it is where George and Mary, who wanted to set out uh, on a wonderful honeymoon, had to settle for their wedding night spent in the ramshackle leaky house that would be their first home. And it was pouring rain as George and Mary entered the house, but outside of the house were two men who were friends of George and respected him highly. Uh, they were the local policeman and the local cab driver. Their names, interesting, Bert and Ernie. If you ever wondered where Children's Television Workshop, Sesame Place, got the names of the Muppets, Bert and Ernie, that's where it came from. Outside, Bert and Ernie are who have fixed up this ramshackle, leaky old house to be something of a honeymoon suite. Outside, they stood in the pouring rain and sang a song as they serenaded the newly married couple. That song is, I Love You Truly. And it became immediately a favorite song to be sung at weddings for the next 30 years or longer. I decided that that would be a good title for our series of studies from the book of Hosea. And so the title of this series is, I Love You Truly. And of course, it is a study of the book of Hosea. Now you may be thinking, Hosea, 
isn't a very well-known book, but actually there are over 30 direct and indirect quotations from this little book of the Old Testament in the New Testament. At least 30 direct and indirect quotations. The book of Hosea, of course, is one of the 12 books of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And you know that we have systematically in our Schmooze News and Views Bible studies been moving through the minor prophets. And we now come to this particular one. One of the 12 books of the minor prophets of the Old Testament, I would remind you, they're called the minor prophets not because they're less important than the major prophets, uh, such as Isaiah and Jeremiah in the Old Testament, but very simply, these books are called the minor prophets because they're shorter, they're briefer. And this is one of those. The author of this book is, of course, uh, Hosea. And it is interesting that his name in Hebrew means salvation. And actually, the same root from which the name Hosea comes is the root that gives us two other names, one of those being Joshua, which also means salvation, or more specifically, Jehovah saves, and Yeshua, the Hebrew name of Jesus. You remember that the announcement of the birth of Jesus was, thou shalt call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And that name is based on the root from which the name Hosea comes as well. We find uh, from the first verse of chapter 11 uh, a little something about the period of time uh, during which Hosea, this prophet, prophesied. Hosea was called as a prophet specifically to the northern kingdom of Israel. Oftentimes, the northern kingdom of Israel is referred to simply as Ephraim, the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel that settled in the northern part of Israel. And you'll find that in the book of Hosea. When the name Ephraim appears, it's referring to the whole northern kingdom of Israel. Just a quick reminder of Old Testament history, and that is, you'll remember that at the death of King Solomon, David's son, the monarchy, that is the reign of the United Kingdom of Israel involving the 12 tribes descended from Jacob, the monarchy passed from Solomon to his son. His son was Rehoboam. But you'll remember that against the advice and counsel of Rehoboam's advisors who suggested that he tread very lightly in his taxation of the Jewish people. Reminding Rehoboam, his advisors did, that there was heavy taxation by his father Solomon. Solomon, remember, built the temple in Jerusalem, and that was a very expensive project. And there were other things, too, that had to be funded. The advice that was given to Rehoboam was, back off on the taxes. Rehoboam, being young, impetuous, and stupid, said, they ain't seen nothing yet. And so he increased the taxation of the people. The result was that 10 of the 12 tribes 
of the United Monarchy of Israel rebelled against Rehoboam. They followed a man named Jeroboam, who became the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. So from that time onward, there was a northern kingdom, 10 tribes, basically forming that northern kingdom, and a southern kingdom, two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, forming the southern kingdom. Hosea was called as a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, we believe that he actually was from the northern kingdom of Israel. But the period of time when he prophesied is evident from uh, verse 1, and it is the fact that Hosea gives us the time, the reign of four kings of Judah, and then the one king who was reigning in the northern kingdom, uh, and he tells us the names of those individuals. And so if you look at verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Biri, in the days of, here are the four kings of the southern kingdom of Judah, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Now we are able to actually do the chronology. We know that general periods of time when those four kings of Judah reigned, and when Jeroboam, by the way, this is a different Jeroboam from the one who led the rebellion. Uh, this is Jeroboam II. And by looking at the chronology, the dates that we have decided for the ministry of Hosea the prophet is the period of time approximately between 750 and 715 B.C. Approximately a 35-year period of time. Uh, for his prophetic ministry from 750 to 715 BC. Very important point is the theme of the book. What is the theme of the book of Hosea? The theme of the book, and the reason why I've chosen the title for the series, I Love You Truly, is God's unfailing love for Israel. His unfailing love for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and specifically Jacob. God's unfailing love for Israel in spite of their infidelity to him. Now, I use that term infidelity purposely. It's usually applied to marital relations, as we will see. And, and God actually uh, is going to use uh, that image of marriage to refer to his relationship with the Jewish people, with the nation of Israel. And so he is the husband, he is the groom, and the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, are his bride, his wife. And unfortunately, sadly, tragically, his wife, the nation of Israel, is involved in great acts of infidelity. That is unfaithfulness. And so in spite of God's unfailing love for Israel, I should say God's love for Israel is unfailing in spite of their infidelity. And the result of their infidelity is a period of chastisement and separation. But ultimately, even though there's this chastisement and separation between God and Israel and the Jewish people, there is the culmination of a reconciliation and a restoration. Now that's a lot to lay on you. And so I think that God basically says, well, people need to have sort of a visual picture of my relationship 
with my chosen people, the Jewish people. And so God says, I I'm going to come up with a visual demonstration of all of this. And he calls this man, Hosea, to provide that visual demonstration of his relationship with the Jewish people over an extended period of time, in fact, all time. And so we come to this point, and that is that Hosea's domestic life, and we're referring to his marriage and his children, his domestic life serves as an allegory of God's relationship with the Jewish people. And we see that allegory played out in Hosea's marriage and his children in chapters 1, 2, and 3 of this book. Now that term allegory, don't stumble over that, because a lot of times when we use the term allegory, we're saying it's something that, that didn't really happen. It's allegorical. It's not really true. It didn't really happen. That's not the point here, because what we're going to see is that there really was a Hosea. There really was a wife of Hosea. There really were three children of Hosea. These events really did take place in Hosea's life. And so it's an allegory only in the sense that it provides a picture of a greater truth. And, and that's really what we're talking about here. So uh, let's consider, first of all, Hosea's marriage. And so verse 2 of Hosea 1, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take yourself, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Wow. God says to Hosea, I want you to get married. And I want you to marry someone that God refers to as a wife of whoredom. Now, some people say that that means that this woman whom Hosea married was a prostitute, a harlot. I don't believe that's the case. But rather, God is saying to Hosea, I want you to marry this woman who is pure. But I'm telling you ahead of time that after you marry her, she's going to play the harlot. She's going to be unfaithful to you. I'm telling you that ahead of time. And you're going to have children. And those children, they will be your children, Hosea. But they are going to be children that you will have by a woman who will be unfaithful to you. And in that respect, they will be children of whoredom. God makes it clear that Hosea's marriage and his children are a picture of his, God's relationship with Israel. Notice the second part of verse 2, where after giving this instruction to Hosea, God says to him, for the land, that is the Jewish people, Israel, the people living in the land, commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so Hosea does what God tells him to do, verse 3. He went and took a wife. Her name was Mary Lou. Okay, some of you are still with me. That's good. No, her name was, was Gomer. I have no idea where that came from. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And that brings us to 
the three children of this marriage. And you see the picture of his marriage to Gomer is a picture of her infidelity. And as we're going to see later on, misery, her misery that came out of that, and her separation from her husband. But then there was a glorious restoration. But now these three children. So he went, took Gomer, the daughter of Ablaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, so God gives instruction to Hosea and says, this is what you shall call him. Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while, I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. The name is significant. Incidentally, names are always significant for Israelis, Jewish people, naming their children. I have to tell you that every single time that Phyllis and I have heard of a birth to families who are dear friends of ours in Israel, they tell us, first of all, the name, and then they say, and it means dot, dot, dot. So this is not unusual. God says, call this boy Jezreel, but the word Jezreel means God sows, or more specifically, God scatters. Now, the more specific meaning God scatters, you understand that sowing at that period of time took place when the farmer went out into the field with a pouch of seed and he took it into his hands and he scattered it all over the place. So sowing and scattering are really related. And so the name Jezreel means God scatters. But it also is the name of a place in Israel at Hosea's period of time. It's a place that would be at the very end of a valley that even today is called the Valley of Jezreel. The Valley of Jezreel. Today, it is a beautiful, lush, agricultural area. The Valley of Jezreel. But it also happens to be the place where another city is located. That city is the ancient city of Megiddo. And in fact, those two names, the Valley of Jezreel and the Valley of Megiddo, are used interchangeably. And Megiddo is the place that will be the site of the final battle recorded in Revelation chapter 19 that takes place between God and the enemies of the Jewish people bent on their destruction, those enemies being the armies of the world. And that will take place in the Valley of Megiddo. The significance here, you see it in the verse. It says, verse 4, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu. Jehu was an earlier king of the northern kingdom. I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. Jehu, as the king of the northern kingdom, was responsible for the slaughter of scads of people. Let me read to you a quote uh, in a book called A Survey of Israel's History, written by Leon Wood. He says this regarding the reign of King Jehu. Uh, Jehu was actually the great grandfather uh, of Jeroboam II, who was the king who reigned 
when Hosea was the prophet. Referring to Jehu's uh, reign, uh, Leon Wood says this, seldom has history witnessed a more thorough blood purging of a previous royal family and favored religious order than this, which means very simply that there was massive shedding of blood under King Jehu. God is saying, I am going to judge the northern kingdom of Israel. And I am going to judge the northern kingdom of Israel, first of all, by scattering them, because that's what the name Jezreel means. And eventually, they are going to be in a place called the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Megiddo, Armageddon, when the armies of the world are about to destroy the Jewish people. So that's the first child, a son. Then, verses 6 and 7. But she conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name, and the Hebrew name is lo but the English Standard Version translates it for us, no mercy. So call her name, your daughter, no mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. And so in that, God is prophesying the judgment against the northern kingdom of Israel, which, by the way, did in fact take place Shortly after Hosea ministered and produced these words, it took place in 722 BC when the Assyrians swept down on the northern kingdom of Israel and completely destroyed the northern kingdom. And one of the key locations for that invasion was the Valley of Jezreel, the Valley of Megiddo. God says, I'm not going to have mercy on the northern kingdom anymore because they are going to be judged. Verse 7 but I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. Interesting, God says, I'm going to judge the northern kingdom and not have mercy on them, but for a little while, I'm going to have mercy on the southern kingdom of Israel. That's Judah. By the way, this is a reference to something fascinating that took place, and that fascinating thing which took place uh, is recorded in the Old Testament, and it is when King Hezekiah, and you'll notice that Hezekiah uh, was uh, one of the individuals uh, who was reigning over Judah. You see that in verse 1. During the reign of King Hezekiah, the Assyrians were launching an attack against Jerusalem. And King Hezekiah was convinced that it was going to mean destruction. He sought the intervention of Elisha the prophet. And God amazingly performed a miracle where the army of Sennacherib surrounding the city of Jerusalem were told in the Old Testament text that in the morning when they woke up, 180,000 Assyrians were dead. This is what God means when he says in verse 7, I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen, referring to that event. Unfortunately, the southern kingdom of Judah followed suit about a century after that. 
when the Babylonians swept down and destroyed the southern kingdom of Israel as well. And then, finally, verse 8, but when, when she had weaned no mercy, or lo ruchamah, she conceived and bore a son. So this is Hosea's second son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people. Well, the Hebrew is lo ami. Call his name, not my people. By the way, can you imagine Hosea and Gomer calling the kids to dinner? Jezreel. Scatter. Lo ruchamah. I will not have mercy. Lo ami, you're not my people. Time for lunch. Well, that is the name. Lo ami. And God says, because you are not my people and I am not your God. Now, those are very, very strong words. But the last point in your notes is this. Throughout the book, the prophet's message of doom and gloom for Israel is combined with a message of hope and future blessing through God's unfailing love. Let's look at the last two verses. After this message of gloom and doom, the northern kingdom is going to be scattered. God's not going to have mercy on the northern kingdom. They're going to be attacked by Assyria. They're going to be carried off into captivity. Their capital city of Samaria is going to be destroyed. Uh, he's going to say of those Jews of the northern kingdom, Lo Ami, you're not my people anymore. You have turned your back on me. You've been unfaithful to me like an unfaithful wife to her husband. You're not my people anymore. After saying all of that, then we come to this, verse 10. Yet, in spite of the scattering of the northern kingdom and eventually the southern kingdom, by the way, that scattering continued for centuries and centuries and centuries. The Jewish people being scattered across the world from their ancient homeland of Israel. The technical term is the diaspora, the scattering of Jews. There's hardly anywhere in the world where you can go today where there's not a Jew. You all grow plants called wandering Jews. And so God scattered the Jewish people. But God, through the prophets of the Old Testament, says, even though I've scattered my people, I still love them. And I am going to regather them. And I will be reconciled with them, and they will be restored to me. So there it is in verse 10. Yet, even though this bad news Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the future, in the place where it was said to them, Lo Ami, that's the name of the third child, the second son, you are not my people. In that place where it was said, you're not my people, it shall be said to them, you are the children of the living God. And the children of Judah, and the children of Israel, the two kingdoms, northern and southern, shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head, and they shall go up for the, from the land, for great shall be the day of Jezreel. They will appoint for themselves one head. Do you know who that is? Jesus. Because the Bible says that the time is coming in the future when the armies of the world are going to be gathered in that valley, the valley of Megiddo, the valley of Jezreel, 
and getting ready to destroy, ultimately, finally, the Jewish people. And it is then and only then that Jesus appears from heaven, Revelation chapter 19. And by the word of his mouth, he destroys the enemies of the Jewish people. And Zechariah puts it this way, the prophet Zechariah in chapter 12. And at that point in time, when they believe they are going to be destroyed, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And they will mourn after him as one mourns over the loss of an only child. They will mourn in repentance and they will see Jesus and recognize, rec recognize who he is. And with that, as Hosea says, they will appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land then, having been delivered by God, by Jesus. And then great shall be the day of Jezreel. Earlier, we heard the tragedy in the Valley of Jezreel of the Northern Kingdom. Then, in the future, it looks like it's going to be tragedy in the Valley of Jezreel until Jesus returns and intervenes. And then it's going to be great is the day of Jezreel. Thanks for listening to Ancient Words, Modern Message. You can expect a new episode every other Monday, so please join us again. Ancient Words, Modern Message is supported by Hebrew Christian Fellowship. To learn more about our ministry or to ask a question, contact us at hcfellowship4819 at gmail.com. If you know someone who might be interested in this teaching, please share it with them. And please consider leaving a review of what you've heard on Apple Podcast. Your input helps us make our program even better and reach new listeners. All you have to do is open up the podcast app on your phone, look for Ancient Words, Modern Message, scroll down until you see Write a Review, and tell us what you think. Ancient Words, Modern Message is produced by Studio D Podcast Production. And I'm your host, Roger Womble reminding you that the Word of God is living and active. Until next time, showers of blessings on you and those you love.